want to be in the sequel. We're not dead, but we're all messed up. Happy, happy October, everybody. This is the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, welcoming you to the first episode of our fourth annual Spookython. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett, how you doing, bud? Hello, Stephen. Oh, put a little spooky edge on it. Yeah, spooky time, motherfuckers. That is. And um, we've got a theme that we'll tell you about as soon as I introduce my other co-host, Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Oh, hi. How's it going? It, it goes, man. You sound very healthy and vibrant. I'm on the mend and, you know, I'm I'm pretty psyched to be here. So shut up okay uh, <laughs> this is this is actually your first ever spookython with us and um it is you were and it's a big ins- one it it's is an important one it this one is, is, it, is tucker was instrumental in selecting our theme for this year's spookython uh we are doing uh, a month uh exclusively of romero remakes that is to say remakes of films originally directed by one of the greatest directors in horror cinema, Mr. George A. Romero. I would say one of the architects of what we consider modern horror, George Romero. Um, So we're going to talk a lot of Romero and we're going to talk a lot of zombies this month. So buckle up, bitches. I have opinions. Oh, (laughs) I would expect nothing less, sir. Oh. Um, but for our first film of the month, Tucker, what have we opted to cover? We are covering Tom Savini's 1990 stone cold classic night of the living dead. Yes. The uh, Tom Savini remake of night of the living dead written by George A. Romero and starring Tony Todd, Patricia Tallman, Tom Tolls, McKee Anderson, William Butler, Katie Finneran, Bill Mosley, Heather Mazur, uh, Russell Striner, and a few others. What a cast. What a picture. So good, you guys. It's so good. It is. Hell yeah. I love it so much. I, I forgot how good this was. Golly, Duke. Better I, than the it's... original? Maybe. Maybe. I think so. I maybe. do. Maybe. I really, really That's a bridge so. I'm unwilling to cross. And I well, have. Maybe. And... I have <laughs> strong, maybe mm. it's better, dude, for sure. Hell no. Now, now, Steven, not. do you remember? Do you remember when I told you for this month that you should watch the original trilogy before you watch these movies? I think that um, being familiar, very familiar with Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and knowing how the outbreak moves on. Um, I think that somewhat influences the way i feel about this movie as well some of the reasons i think it's better so i'm saying you still haven't watched dawn of the dead so maybe i haven't i'm saving that one maybe i don't know maybe uh when you watch dawn of the dead we'll talk about that and uh maybe that'll change until then i i I do want to know you know why you don't think it's better We'll talk about it. I yeah. can assure you we will talk about it. 
Um, I mean, I also think that the original is just like a, a masterpiece. So, I mean, there's that. Well, we're not um, diminishing that well, the original is a masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, not I also all. think I just, it's a masterpiece. But... I just don't think this is a masterpiece. So if I'm comparing a masterpiece I... to something I don't think is a masterpiece, then it can't be better than the masterpiece, can it? Gosh, I guess not, Steven. I guess not. I think they're both masterpieces, but I think what uh, the original has on the remake is that it's the fucking original. I mean, it changed everything. You can't, yeah. you can't compute with that. Like it, to me, it paves the way for is... what we now know as a horror film and invents an entire subgenre within that genre. Like it's, its impact cannot be overstated. That's you. I just heard you say that because I just edited. What are we watching? Right. You said that exact same thing verbatim <laughs> nothing if not consistent in his opinion but you're not wrong you're not wrong the only thing that the original has up on it like i said is you know it it's influence i think the 1990 version is a better film uh but i think that doesn't matter like the original is it's never going to beat the original just simply because of how impactful the original was I think we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit here because uh, we've not even just started give it a preview talking a preview, about this movie you know? yet. But yeah. Tucker, this this uh, the Romero remakes theme month was kind of your baby. Um, what is your history with Romero? What is your history with Night of the Living Dead as a franchise? What is your history with this movie in specific? I have a feeling you're going to go for about 20 minutes here, so I'm going to go ahead and Fuck. let you let you cook right out of the gate. How long you got? Jeez. I mean, um, you and I are going to have to get to sleep at some point tonight. Brett's good for another nah, few hours. Nah. Um, you know, the older you get, the less sleep you need is what is I've Is that heard, why I'm so. only sleeping four hours a night? I thought it was just that the depression. It, dude. No, dude. It's because you're old, man. <laughs> I'm old and depressed. What a, what a yeah, beautiful combination. Yeah. It's a good combination. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be old and depressed than young and depressed because you're supposed to be doing fun stuff when you're young, you know. No, I've uh, no. those days anyway. are over. Time to be depressed. <laughs> well, that's now I'm I depressed said to myself that's on my, my lot in life. So yeah, that's what yeah. I said to myself on my fortieth birthday. Well, that was fun. Time to be depressed. <laughs> what a, what an exciting and engaging life you must lead. <laughs> Yay! Uh, so my history with this film, um, it goes into my history with a few other things, uh, mainly the original film which was kind of the first real movie that I, I fell in love with in a mature sort of way. Cause like I loved movies when I was a kid, but like when I saw night of the living dead on channel four at like two o'clock in the morning, when I was like probably 12 or 13, mm -hmm. like something clicked in my brain and I was like, Ooh, it's kind of like the first time I heard the guitar solo in Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin off of their first record. Um, that was the moment where I was like, yeah, I kind of, this is a thing I like. This is, this right. is where I'm going. This is my path, you know? Um, so Nine of the Living Dead was kind of that for me. That was the first movie to really light a fire under my ass to turn me into a horror buff and a film fan in general. Right. And uh, I was thinking, actually, uh, on Tuck Mugs, if you visit Tuck Mugs on Instagram, that's Tuck underscore Mugs on the Insta, 
you will see my most recent cup. My most recent mug is a mug that I got at a thrift store recently that has uh, the little due card that they used to put in the back of library books that they'd stamp and tell you when it was due. And it made me think of when I first saw Night of the Living Dead. Um, I literally rushed to the library and probably got like 12 or 13 books about horror movies mm. after I saw that movie. Because I couldn't just like get on my phone and be like, tell me, I want to watch 30 YouTube videos about horror movies and read the Wikipedia of like right. all the big ones. And no, you had, you had to work for that shit, man. <laughs> hobbies were hobbies were a lot more fun. I think honestly, I think that's why uh, fandoms are so shitty is because they're 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 babied too much. You have everything. It's all right there all the time. Like you don't have to work for any of it. Like there's no effort. It's not a reward. It's just expected. It's just there. It's entertainment. I get it. It's mine. Like I don't have to work for this. I don't have to put any time into it. I just have to consume it, you know? And back then there was like there was mystery and detective work you had to do. Because like if I hadn't gone to the library, I never would have known that Dawn of the Dead existed, Day of the Dead existed. I wouldn't know who George Romero was like, I don't know. It was definitely this a time is, and a place. This has been a very old man yells at cloud moment for no, you here. I, I still love, I love the fact that you can access technology, access information at, at like in the blink of an eye. I think that's great in, in some ways. Uh, but I just think hobbies were a little more personal back in the day because of the amount of effort that you had to put in them uh now i saw this remake because i learned about it in a book i got from the library <laughs> <laughs> i saw this remake uh i rented it from the library actually every subsequent uh george romero film uh, or related to that trilogy i rented on vhs from the warren library nice um so i think i watched this remake i think i saw it before i saw any of the rest of the original trilogy and even the first time i saw it i was like well they they just i don't know how they did it better but they just they did it better and i mean it does make sense because you've got it's pretty much creatively it's all of the original people behind the scenes you've got george romero and john russo uh working on it george writing it and basically it's kind of like we were talking about uh uh producers like steven spielberg on close uh, not close encounters on fucking poltergeist right i feel like romero is kind of like that on this this is tom savini's movie but i feel like i george was probably i actually from the commentary i know george was on set every day right and he was pretty much kind of a guiding hand maybe a mentor to savini on this film like i say it's still savini's film it is but and i mean um, i think that that comes through in a lot of ways it's it's a much more modern retelling of the original story for sure in, in a it, lot of ways more than just in kind of the slickness of the filmmaking yeah and uh it, it does seem kind of timeless actually i love that the remake it really does it outside of actually saying 1989 at the end of the movie like it could be it could be the 60s it could be the 70s you know 80s 90s uh it's kind of timeless and actually that's 
one of the creepiest parts in that movie is that warbly voice on the radio at the end mm-hmm. where Ben's sitting down there and like laughing about his broken cigarette. And that right. voice is on the radio talking about this day of 1989. I and, think yeah. that is the same broadcaster from the original film, if I'm not no, mistaken. No, 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 no. The what you're talking about is Chili Billy, oh, who is okay. the guy who is the television interviewer. Oh, and right, right, right. Okay, he's okay, okay, in okay. the original, and he's in the remake, and his daughter is the star of Day of the Dead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, it makes sense that it's better because these guys had you know 20 years and some change to kind of sit on this story mm-hmm. and figure out how to make it better and i think in the ways that they changed it all of them are 100 percent better uh all the different choices that they made with this script and it you know it makes sense that they would want to do this remake and be enthusiastic about it because they didn't make any money on the first one. Like we, we mentioned right. uh, briefly in what are we watching? They didn't make any money on it because uh, somebody like they, they, they got a copyright on the original title, which was um, night of like night of the Anubis or something like that. I don't remember, but they got that copyrighted, but then they changed the title and um well they didn't make any money off of it at all i was gonna say it 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 was released and immediately fell into the public domain which is just one of those kind of cautionary tale it's just a simple fuck up simple fuck up and there's no takesies backsies yeah you you don't get to change it the patent system works which is partly why this this franchise as it exists is such a confusing one most people just kind of limit it to the ones that Romero directed. Some will expand it to the ones he had something to do with either in production or screenwriting or both. And then, but there are so, there are so many hosts of like Dan O'Bannon's got the whole return of the living dead kind of spin off offshoot franchise, which is its own very different thing. Um, but still greatly indebted to the original film. Well, that's, that's Russo's uh, take. Like when, when John Russo and George Romero, started writing a sequel they had very different ideas of what they wanted out of it so they decided to go their separate ways and with that split um george or uh john russo was allowed to use the name living dead that was his stipulation so that's why you don't have dawn of the living dead or day of the living dead it's just dawn of the dead or day of the dead then you have return of the living dead which is, I mean, it, it's kind of like the the different timelines in Halloween and Texas Chainsaw. Right. It's just, it's a sequel to the first, sort of. In its know. own roundabout sort of way. Well, in return, they mention that Night of the Living Dead is a movie, mm. but it's based on what the, the, the chemical that they're fucking with. Like oh, an I incident see. that happened with that. Gotcha. So it's kind of a confusing timeline, but hey, the the actual Dead trilogy doesn't even connect in any way. So right, at least you've got that for Return of the Living Dead. At least you've got that. At John least you've got you know there's some some attempt at continuity, which is more than Romero ever does. I think Romero is the link between all the entries in that franchise. Well, the link is the progression of the outbreak. 
even though none of the characters carry over and the time periods, the decades are completely different. Right. Uh, what makes them a series of films is Night of the Living Dead is a couple days after it starts. Dawn of the Dead is a couple months to about six months during the span of the film. Hmm. And then Day is about a year, two okay. years. Because in Land, they say, uh, Asia Argento says that she like never knew life outside the city and she's like in her twenties. So I'm assuming land is like, like maybe 20, 25 years later. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird timeline. It is bizarre. But yeah, that's my history with it. It's, it's kind of the thing that set me on my path. It's the, the yeah. made you into the man that you are today. Kind of, yeah. I was so into it back then because I watched Night of the Living Dead and the next thing I watched and got obsessed with was Psycho. And I was in middle school. And so, like, every paper I had to write for English or whatever, every, like, creative writing assignment, it was about, like, Norman Bates or something. And my I went to a little tiny Jesus school and my teachers were so worried about me, Stephen. I, as someone who uh, <laughs> both attended and taught at a tiny little Jesus school... Um, I can, I can, that makes sense. Yeah. They were so worried. I had one teacher, bless her heart. She's a sweet lady, but she had to send a letter home. She was so worried about me. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably rightly so in the grand hey scheme man, of things. I'm a cool but... dude. I've never murdered anybody yet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't see it <laughs> happening either. Fair, fair. I mean, you got time, but fair. Yeah, um, we'll see. Brett, what about you? What is your uh, history with uh, this franchise, with Romero uh, specifically, with um, with this remake in specific? Like, uh, lay, lay it on me, man. Uh, well, this uh, Night of the Living Dead, the original, was also one of the first horror movies I ever saw um, and, and inspired my love for the genre. Um <clears throat> My father, who was a big horror fan, um, showed me all three films, as well as Halloween. Right. And um, and yeah, I, I just I they they terrified me. Um, they still are the one type of horror movie that does get to me a little bit, gets under my skin a little bit. I don't. I still have yet to unpack why that is. Interesting. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah. And I mean, I've just always been a fan my whole life ever since. And I, I would say <clears throat> the fact that it fell into the public domain is just one more thing that it gave the horror genre going forward. Mm -hmm. Every single horror movie has it playing in the background somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> so, Yeah. yeah. I, I I love the original, and I think this this one tells a better story. I like the way it's paced. I like the story better. It's it's significantly less misogynist. And I think some of the characters are more fleshed out too. Yes, also as that. well. <laughs> yeah, and it uh, it's just man, it's just good. I just think it's neat. <laughs> It's real good. It's real good. Yeah. And uh, I first engaged with the uh, original Night of the Living Dead just a few scant years ago. 
Um, uh, when I fresh watch it. fish, uh, I mean, this is to to any more than casual listener of this show that comes <laughs> absolutely no surprise. What? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, but no, I I was very late to the horror game, and so I've spent probably the better part of the last seven eight years kind of catching up on all the classics that I missed. Um, and so Chase I caught this one. Dragon. <laughs> Sorry. Chasing that horror dragon. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, all of us have, you know, those horror films that kind of activated us. And I guess mine was The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. But um, I, I, I came upon this one and I thought it was fine. Um, and then on your recommendation, Brett, I also watched Diary of the Dead uh, later that same month that I watched the original. Um and I've, it's it's kind of one of those that I've been meaning to get a hold of, but Dawn of the Dead is just so difficult to get a hold of that I've never really engaged with it. But apparently, it's on YouTube. So it's every cut is on YouTube multiple times. So yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's how I'm gonna engage with it this time out uh, for this month. But um, yeah, I had wanted to. Uh, this is one I've been wanting to get into for a while, and so I now have an excuse to do so. Uh, and I orig- I watched the remake, uh, I think, two days ago. So, or yesterday, or whenever we were supposed to record this thing initially. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, I guess I've not lived with it long enough to think it is, you know, the grand magnum opus of horror and cinema that you guys do. But I guess we'll talk about that. So, If I may, before we move on from talking too much about the original... Um, a an interesting fact: uh, the day that all the the Image Ten boys piled into a car and drove up to New York City to deliver the final print of the film and ultimately get screwed out of any money ever mm-hmm. was the same day that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Hmm. They talk about that quite a bit on uh, one of the commentaries I have on an old DVD with has like pretty much everybody from the original cast and crew that's still alive. Right. And they talk about driving up there and hearing that on the radio. And it's just like, they're just driving down the road and the whole world changes. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a really interesting story. Not really had, doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about here. I just think it's, it's really interesting. Neat. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of that, uh, that James Cameron documentary where he and Bill Paxton are like going down to like, look at the Titanic and, uh, while they're down looking at the Titanic, 9-11 happens while they're oh. filming this documentary. So, yeah. That'll, that'll change things. Mm-hmm. Also, Dana Carvey heard about 9-11 while he was dressed as a turtle for the movie Master of Disguise, future episode of this how podcast, ab- Master of Disguise. How absurd. Right? How absurd. That right? story I did know. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Am I not turtly enough for the turtle club? Oof. And uh, I don't know that that just that doesn't, that's doesn't, literally that's literally the only even remotely <laughs> funny scene in that entire movie, and it's incredibly disappointing because I feel like that movie had a lot of potential, and that's that's where it peaks there and killed Dana peaks. Carvey's career. We'll talk about it one day. We will. We'll get into it one I day. I can't wait. I can't wait. Maybe we'll do a SNL and SNL adjacent theme month or something. You guys, you just keep singing my tune around here, man. <laughs> Golly. 
but uh but yeah so that is uh kind of our personal histories with this franchise uh i mean i i i've tried to do a romero watch through uh a couple years ago during my october marathon and then i had to abandon those plans because my life kind of fell apart uh so didn't end up doing that um yeah you know as as happens uh as happens has happened to many of us throughout the course of the past few years so um but yeah some of us multiple times Mm. so you know uh and so it goes uh but here we all are and we're talking about 1990s remake of night of the living dead yeah. uh starring a veritable who's who of like late 80s early 90s horror icons uh Ooh, are we talking about the cast now uh, we might as well. Let's jump into oh, it. Boy. I mean, we got oh, we got Candyman himself, Mr. Tony Todd. Um, we've got um, Dog Will Hunt, Bill Mosley. Um, at looking, you know, like you know, you're David gonna have Cronenberg a good time in Nightbreed. You know, you're gonna have a good time when when Bill Mosley shows up. He's he, a funny he guy. for real. I, he got out of the car, and I'm like, is that David Cronenberg? Is David Cronenberg in this movie? Did I miss his credit? <laughs> And I was like, oh, no, wait, that's Bill Mosley. But he looks he looks so much like David Cronenberg yep. in Nightbreed. It's the glasses do a lot. Yeah. And he's even got the gloves. He's got the gloves, too. <laughs> like, I'm just like, holy shit. What what is going on? But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the glasses are doing a lot of heavy lifting. It's the glasses. It's the suit. It's the hair. It's the whole thing, except he's he's going as Bill Mosley is wont to do so much bigger uh, than Cronenberg would ever go. But you know that's 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 why you pay Bill Mosley. Like you you want you want something big. So yeah, Bill Mosley does not do for half measures. Um, but yeah, I mean this this cast is is pretty spectacular. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd forgotten that Tony Todd was in this film. I, I think that was the I only thing I knew. About yeah, I, I can't in. believe yeah. I had forgotten that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty great. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I we should probably wait till Tucker gets back. Yeah, that's what I was doing. That's why, that's okay. why my my thought kind of trailed off because I didn't know. Interesting. That all is very interesting, guys. I really enjoyed everything you just said there in the last forty five seconds. All very <laughs> informative, and uh, I'm really glad to know it. Did we talk oh, about Patty Tallman yet? Let's, let's wrap it up, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, bring it in for a landing, I guess. Uh, that's That was a great episode, everybody. Well, uh, good job. Uh, check me out on Instagram. This has been the Disney Franchise Podcast. No, let's. Where do we want to pick it up from? Back to me talking about Tony Todd. Yeah, Brett's going to talk about Tony Todd. Yeah. Did you guys talk about anything before that? No. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, was I told? I... <laughs> Sorry, we're friends. Action. <laughs> but yeah, I totally forgot that Tony Todd was in this movie. Um, I don't know how I forgot that. It seems pretty crazy for me to forget that. But my memory is also really fucky anyway. So sure. I mean, that was the only thing I knew about this movie going in was that Tony Todd was playing the uh, the Ben role. That was, that was the only thing I knew. It probably doesn't help that the last time I'd seen this movie was before I really was familiar with Tony Todd's body of work. Sure. That, so, I mean, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's the main villain of two major horror franchises. So, uh, Candyman and Final Destination. So, does Final 
Destination count? I mean, he's, he's more of a harbinger in Final Destination. If well, anything. it's not even like I don't even know. Like we we talked he's about this briefly that. on uh, what are we watching before? But like the right. first one, yes, it's heavily implied he's death. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, it's like it completely throws that out the window. It's like, nah, he's just a dude. They keep reinventing and, his role, though. I think as the franchise goes on, and like they because they raise the question again, they take it back. Like they're we're pivoting all over the place with him. What well, in three? He's just the voice of the devil statue outside the roller coaster, right? Um, and four, he's a he's also just a voice, but it's even more inconsequential in four. I think if he's even, in I don't it. remember. Four. I didn't like four. Four was my least favorite one. No, four is really bad. Four is the worst one, and we haven't gotten to five yet. I'll check back in. I think but. he plays a much larger role in five. Is my memory? I could be very wrong about that, but I think five is the one that brings that question back in. The who is this guy? Is he in fact death? We're not sure. Um, oh. Is is my recollection again? It's been a couple years since I saw the Final Destination, so I could be very wrong about that. And I'm sure if I am, someone will let me know. Yeah, and they're also screaming it at their listening device of choice right now, and are opening up an email to send an email to disenfranchpod at gmail dot com to let us know how horribly, horribly wrong we really, truly are. Just, just all caps, Stephen, you fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Brett, you ignorant slut. Yeah, all that. Yeah, all that, all that good stuff. All that good yeah. stuff. Um, which, which but... is funny, though. Talking about Tony Todd, it's it's great that um, we we get a reference to Candyman before Candyman exists. It's fantastic. Right. I don't know how they did this, but they they looked into the future. It's fantastic. They 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 intuited based on context that Tony Todd was going to be uh, huge. Were they not released the same year? Uh, no, uh, Candyman comes out in 92, I believe. No. Yeah, like Are you sure? Before. I'm fairly huh. sure. I'm, I'm looking it up right okay. now. It's still pretty close, but not as close as I thought. Uh, yeah, Candyman, 1992. Okay. okay. Um, and he does quite a bit in between this and that. Um, I'll bet he does. TV movies, TV appearances, uh, a movie called Voodoo Dawn. He does uh, an episode of Matlock. He does an episode of Jake, or three episodes of Jake and the Fat Man. Um, oh, yeah. Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Uh, some TV movies, Father Dowling Mysteries, uh, a little movie called Sunset Heat that I've never heard of, and then Candyman. And then a couple years after Candyman, he does a little movie that Brett would, that little Brett would see and just change his entire outlook on everything called The Crow. Yeah indeed so yeah but uh but yeah i mean this is top dollars number one henchman yeah dude he's Um, the guy that figures it out this is not his first movie it's not even his first really big movie but it's probably his first movie as a lead uh his first big movie is like his second movie ever which is platoon um oliver stone's platoon uh and he's got some small roles and stuff coming up but i think this is his first starring role um in in a in a major feature and um he he does very well like he presages his ability to be like i think tony todd kind of morphs himself into one of the great horror character actors and i think he's a really solid that guy like he's someone who just shows up and you're like oh it's tony todd oh it's that guy i like that guy so but yeah he's a big dude too he mm-hmm. like towers 
like uh, the first horror convention that I ever went to, I went with our good friend JP Leck in like 2006. Mm-hmm. Like there was nobody. JP Leck is nobody, a tall dude. Nobody gave a fuck about horror conventions in 2006. It was right. like us and like ten other people. Sure. At the Marriott on 21st and Shadeland. <laughs> and we met Tony. Todd I mean, it was 21st and, and Shadeland, so he towered over Joe. He's That's the insane. biggest dude I've ever seen. And he's so sweet. His wife is so nice. Right on. I you know, yeah. you love you love to hear that the people you admire are actually good people because it yeah. it doesn't happen much these days anymore. So, you know. Nah. Much like yeah. the director of this film. Mm. That's bummer. Poor Tom Savini. Poor Tom Savini. He used to be a good time, but like as the years went on, he just got grumpier and grumpier. That I mean, that tends to happen. Like something, mm-hmm. something flitch, some switch flips, and every all the horrible things that you kind of think in the back of your head to sort of metastasize, and it's a that's a big ass bummer. If you if you let if you okay. let yourself get hardened like that, that's, that's at least a he sort of seems like the outlier in like in at least in big name horror community people. Like Bruce Gamble, still great. Tony Todd, great. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much from Kane Hodder to every other like. Uh, um, uh, why am I forgetting Freddie's name? Robert, Robert England. Robert England. Fuck me! How did I forget his <laughs> name of all people? I, I was I gonna know, say it happens to me all the time. Just another reason to take my horror card. Fucking hell. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like, but no. Man, like you, ju- you just got off work like a half an hour ago. Your <laughs> your excuse. Yeah, you are forgiven. Thank you. Um, but yeah, like all of them are like really cool people that love to just like hang out with fans. Yeah. So like Tom Savini being like a big name right on the same level as them being the dick is he's an outlier. He's he's the only celebrity that I've met at a convention that was just kind of a jerk. And like I don't want to talk ill of the guy because you know maybe he's having some issues. Like I'm a jerk sometimes. Like I'm a dick sometimes, you know. Sure. So I don't want to talk bad about him, but it just seemed like, like I said, as time went by, he just got grumpier and grumpier. And I hope that I hope he feels better now. I really do. Because when you watch him in interviews and stuff, he seems like a really cool guy. And the first like when me and Joe met him, he was very cool. Like he talked to us forever and told us stories and we laughed and talked and it was great. But by the Hmm. time I retired my my convention gloves in like 2013, stay away from that motherfucker. Maybe maybe he had. A couple bad convention experiences and it ruined his opinion of them but he still feels obligated to do them because of who he is and yeah. also they pay really and also well. the money yeah i was gonna say so, yeah yeah they do pay well particularly i mean if you're if you've got like you know three fairly decent sized projects under your belt you can you can make mad bank at those horror cons for sure or yeah. any con really these days yeah hell yeah because yeah. you get an appearance fee too like the con mm-hmm. pays you as well yeah, and then you also get all the money from you know selling autographs and photos and all mm-hmm. that good stuff. So, yeah, absolutely, it's it's a yeah, pretty the, sweet, nice work if you money, can get it. The amount of money that Bruce Campbell charges for a photo and autograph is obscene. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, it. Well, just I mean that's great for him. Get that bank, brother. But like, I mean, uh, yeah, I will not begrudge anyone from doing what they need to do to make money. I may opt to not spend that money, but yeah, like, there's plenty I mean, of people do. I was gonna yeah. say obviously plenty of people are doing it or he'd lower his fee so no he's he's doing well for himself and and we stand we stand bruce campbell we love that guy absolutely yeah. he's not in this movie though 
Nope. Sure isn't. No. Who is in this movie, Tucker? You know who's in this movie? Tell um, me. Russell, Russell Striner is in this movie. And if you don't know who that is, that's the original Johnny They're from the original Night of the Living you, Dead. Barbara. He's uh he plays the sheriff at the end when they pan past the news crew and Chili Billy's interviewing the Yeah. And he says, They're dead, they're all messed up, which yeah. is a line from the original, obviously. The one yeah, that I quoted at the top Johnny. of this episode. Yeah. Steven, that's Johnny. Johnny has the keys. I know he does. <laughs> I know he does. We've got to go and get them. <laughs> And then she gets slapped ten ways from Tuesday about that. <laughs> Bitch had yeah. it coming, man. She hit him first. Okay. She hit him sure. first. Like hard. Like sure. real hard. Okay. And he was like, all right, bitch, you are crazy, and you just hit me. Time for you to go to sleep. <laughs> sometimes it just be that way. You don't think it'd be oof. that way, but sometimes it do. Oof. Man, can I just can I just say oof? Is that is that allowed? Can I oof? I will join you. I will join you in your oof. Oof. You know, the main, the main feed is where you get canceled. Big, big I'm damn into it. Let's yeah. do it. Be- behind Welcome the paywall, the it's club. Brett and I. Out in the main feed, it's all you, big guy. Well, for, for me, it's like, look, if this lady is hitting me in the face and she's also, like, making it so that I might not survive because she won't calm her ass down. I, I'm just saying. It's survival, man. It's like, I'm trying not to die, so please shut up so less zombies come. Thank you. It's not misogyny. It's survival. Survival. Yeah, man. Normal circumstances wouldn't do it. Life and death? Yeah, I'm going to smack that bitch. Put that on a t-shirt and sell me. For I sure. was about to <laughs> say. That's, I, I smell, I smell said, some Life dirt. or death? I'm going to smack that bitch. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, uh, this is it's been a great run, guys. We we did yeah. about 150 episodes. I think, I think it's about time we pack it in, right? Yeah. We had I a good run. I did it. I ended the podcast. <laughs> it was bound to happen. From the yes. moment we said, hey, Tucker, want to be third co-host? It was bound to happen. <laughs> Disclaimer, we had the disenfranchise podcast. Do not condone. <laughs> no. Anything Tucker says. Tucker's views do not reflect those of the disenfranchised podcast. Good Lord. <laughs> oh, my God. Also great in this movie, big shout out to the MVP of this movie, is a stunt woman by the name of Patty Tallman mm-hmm. who plays yeah. Barbara. She's just a stunt lady, dude. She's not an actress. But She's... Sabini was like, you know what? Get up there, gal. And she was like, okay. And then she nailed it. Murdered this role. In the same way that, um, what's uh, a girl from uh, Death Proof? Zoe Bell? Zoe Bell. In the same way that Zoe Bell does in Death Proof. It's, it's kind of a similar Agreed. sort of story there. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Um, but no, I thought, I thought she... Uh, relate herself very well in this God, film. She's amazing. Everybody's like, really, really good in this film. Tom Tolls sh- is really good. I think he's intense and just despicable as Harry. Like I hate yeah. him even more than I hate the original Harry in like, I, the best possible way. I do hate the original Harry. She, I think, of all the characters in this film, compared to the original, this film really does her more favors. Her Barbara more favors than any other character in the movie honestly like well look the bar was low like, sure you could have given her two more speaking lines and done better for her character in the remake <laughs> than right than the original i mean the because she she in 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 a very real way she becomes the or or is i guess should say the protagonist of the film in the way that like it it starts from her perspective in the original and then very quickly once ben arrives like okay 
he's the hero now and we're following him. Um, and that it, it's very much a two hander for them for most of this film's runtime. Um, it's, it's Ben and Barbara working together. And I think it, all of the like hero moments that Ben had in the original film, I think it gives pretty judiciously to Barbara in this, in this version, um, which is an understandable, but interesting decision. I think, um, I think it's it's very much, no, I was just gonna say it's very much a modernization. Like you can tell it's, it's a 30 years later, 32 years later, whatever, um, version of what their, or a 28 or whatever years later version of what that original film was, was doing. And it, it's very much a modern take and it basically turns her into an action star by the end of the movie. Like she's the, the badass action hero. She's very much in the vein of like a Ripley or a, or a T2 Sarah Connor, a very, very Cameron esque um, heroine by the end of the film. Uh, the way that Romero put it in one of the commentaries that I listened to is that in the original, Barbara is the only character that's not a bickering idiot mm-hmm. because she's catatonic. Right. In the remake, not only is she the only one that's not a bickering idiot, she's the only one that has a good idea. She's the smartest one. She's the mm-hmm. one that gets out of it because you can just fucking walk past them right. as she says and she many does. times. And Ben shuts that shit down every time. She's like, all right, dude, let's see what happens. Now all mm-hmm. y'all are dead and I'm still here. Like, what's up? Right. She, she just walks right on by. Um, she does come back for Ben. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, she and and that that is the thing that keeps her alive, which was, I think, from what I read, that was Romero's original intention for the for the first film was to have Barbara be the lone survivor and not Ben. Um, but I don't I'm not sure why he changed that or why that uh, was altered for the original film. But I think that's what he kind of put back into the script this time and allowed her to kind of stand up front Um and be the character that he had at least in some, on some level envisioned her to be with, again, a lot more modern flair. It feels, I I don't know. I think the biggest contribution of this film is just that it updates a lot of things for a more modern sensibility. And Um, that's why I would argue it's better in the original. But I think what it, okay, I'm just going to get into this now because why the fuck not? We're, we're pretty much knocking at the door anyway. Well, hold on. Should we do the plot in 61st? We're 45 minutes in here. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, Okay. I'll try to remember where I was because yeah, this is this was my big issue with the the movie. But yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we can do it afterwards, man. Let's do it live. Fuck it, let's go. I mean, that's that's what we do. That's what we do every week. Um, the plot in sixty seconds for the uninitiated is the part of the show where we recount the plot of the film that we're discussing. In this case, nineteen nineties Tom Savini directed Night of the Living Dead in sixty seconds or less. And to decide which of us will be recounting the plot in sixty seconds or less, uh, Brett Wright, our very good friend Brett Wright, will break out the D six of Destiny. Uh, he will assign each of us two sides and roll the dice, which will determine which of us will be reading the plot and i will say it is usually me so we'll see if that differs at all uh but brett who's got what sides um i'll fucking no um <laughs> i'll be one and two tucker gonna be three and four steven you're five and six let's do it 
That's three. That, no, sorry, four. Sorry, four. It's a four, not a three. It's a four. That's just me all over. It's it's Tucker either way. So yeah, right. and, either way it was you, I suppose. Let me let That's me go right. ahead and throw sixty seconds on the clock here. It was always me. It was inevitable. You've been here the whole time. Yeah, dude. All my, right. My, the dice are being rolled inside the house. <laughs> The dice rolls are coming from inside the house. All right. I have 60 seconds on the clock. I will give you the 30 and 10 second warnings as I usually try to do. And your time begins when you do. Johnny and Barbara are going to the cemetery to put a reef on their mother's grave. And Johnny's making fun of Barbara because he's kind of a dick, like a lovable dick, but he's kind of a dick. And then this guy comes up to them and you're like, oh, shit, that's a zombie because this movie's called Night of the Living Dead. But nope, fake out. Uh, the other guy is a zombie and he straight up murders Johnny and Barbara runs to this house and then Ben shows up and they kill a couple zombies and they start boarding up the house. And then Mr. Cooper and, and Judy Rhodes and um, fucking what's his nuts? come up and they're like what and then they all start fighting and uh 20 seconds um fucking harry's got a bitten kid in the basement and they fight 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 and then eventually the the zombies get in 10 seconds and everybody dies um except for ben and harry and ben eventually dies and then barbara shoots harry and when she gets time. to the house at the end the end the end I'm sorry, you're incorrect about one thing. What's Did not that? kill Johnny. That was a Johnny dummy. Um, that was not actually very Johnny. obviously. <laughs> that, was, mm. that was that was fake. I don't know what happened to the real Johnny there, but swapped him out. Some sort of magical <laughs> swapping body swapping technique. Um, I mean, you can tell it's him because of the glasses, though. That's that's really what yeah. we're you know. If you oh, just focus I mean, on the glasses, you're good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it works in anime. Just make a copy, an exact copy. So you never know. And and we all know this movie sticks very closely to those anime tropes. It, you Absolutely. damn right it does. <laughs> um. So anyway, I guess so. The one thing I think this remake lacks, um, that the original had is any sense of like a social commentary or a social awareness, which I think is one of the things that this franchise continues to do very well from, from the first entry, like Tucker, you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, they delivered the print the day that Martin Luther King Jr. was shot. And the, the original, that first movie has a lot of very both implicit and explicit racial over and undertones to it. Uh, the fact that, you know, for the first time in a, in a movie like this, you have a, a black protagonist, the way that the movie ends is very, very racially charged. They actually cut the scene that is homaged in this movie uh, with the, the zombies, the, the lynching of the zombies. That was something that was in the original film and they cut it because of the strong racial tensions of the day. Um, Like that's all part of that. Um, So, but, but this movie doesn't have kind of any of that and i think it swaps out like the like the cynicism i think that would become kind of part like come to permeate the 90s 
Um, like that kind of cynicism coming off of the eighties into the nineties, um, you know, the, the disillusionment with the Reagan era and all of that, um, moving forward. Um, I think that movie, like it swaps out the social commentary and the social element that again is such an embedded part of this franchise and switches it out for just this kind of cynicism, which I didn't, I didn't like, like part of me as I was watching this movie is trying to reckon with why this exists. Like, what is the point? What is this movie trying to say? And I think it's just it. it and again, you guys can tell me where I'm where I'm wrong on this, but it feels it felt to me at least that it it existed simply to make a more modern version of the original film. Um, like, there wasn't kind of an overlying. Uh, larger social theme at play. It was just, Hey, I really like the original movie and wouldn't it be cool if Barbara were an action hero. And again, I'm, I'm probably way off base on that. And I, I look forward to you guys telling me why, but like, that's, I think that's my biggest gripe with this film. And I think the reason why it doesn't go higher than it does for me is because I felt like it was lacking an essential core. Tucker, you want to take that? Uh, yeah, or shall you know, I? <laughs> well, uh, you, you kind of had me there, Stephen, and until you said that they just did it to, um, you know, modernize it and make Barbara that's, a badass, which, which I don't really, that's my perception. And again, I'm okay. looking forward to you telling me why I'm wrong. Well, like I said earlier, um, it, it essentially is a cash grab because they didn't make any money off of the original. And by making this new movie with Columbia Pictures, they could copyright that name. They could make money off of that film. That's why every time you see Night of the Living Dead and the opening credit at the end, it's like trademark, copyright, like every kind of thing that you right. can put on there is stamped on there because they're like, not this time, motherfuckers, not this time. So, like, I, I think it, it honestly, it did come out of a need to just, you know, to feel like they were owed something for that film that was so successful. They didn't make shit from. I mean, and, and I, I, I from an artistic standpoint, I understand that. But also that feels even more craven. Well, and what I'm saying is uh, to be able to take uh, uh, that motivation and turn it into something to where like, oh, well you know, not only can we finally make some money off this, but, you know, I can make some changes that have been bugging me since the first one came out. You know, I can write this differently this time because since we did it the first time, I've thought about it and I think it'd probably be better this way. Hmm. You know, and I, I kind of disagree with you. I think the social commentary is there. Uh, I think the cynicism is there and, and it's appropriate uh, where it is. Um, what what's the social comment then? Because I I wasn't I wasn't getting it. It wasn't it wasn't standing out to me. Well, to me, it, it is just kind of like the end of that that the Reagan era stuff. You know what I mean? Just commenting on how um, different types of people. Uh, well, like like Harry says, you know, uh, you don't you don't exactly look like neighbors yourself, Mister Ben. Like, mm -hmm. it's still about racism. I mean, like, just because it's, you know, 20, 25 years later sure. doesn't mean that that stuff isn't still going on. Well, I mean, it's still going on in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, um, but 
like I, and I feel like that's part of it, but it's not the point of it. Like I, that felt very, it felt very pointedly part of the original. Again, mm-hmm. like the, the way that movie ends, there is no question. Like the bleak hopelessness of that ending. Like they shoot the guy because he's black. Um, like that's, and, and then you see like the image, the the photos of him on the pyre. Um, which again has very strong racial overtones like that. It's very pointed and we don't, we don't get that in this movie. Like it's, it's part, it's sprinkled in. It's like a little flavor for the sauce, but it's Mm -hmm. not the dish. Well, I think uh, something that Savini mentioned on the commentary for night 1990 was that both himself and George wanted this to be probably a lot less on the social commentary than most of the movies in the series. Why do you Um, think that is? That's interesting, but why? You know, gosh, I don't really remember. It's been a while since I have listened to that. Um, But I think they just wanted to make the story as good as they possibly could without trying to having to worry about making a statement because in the original one, they weren't even trying to most of it. Like, uh, like Ben was written as a white character. Right. It's just Dwayne Jones was the best guy for the job. And he's incredible in that movie. And it was all, all that's they didn't change that script at all after he got on. Sure. I mean, and I think so, it, it but but I think it definitely influences the performances of the other actors. I agree. And it definitely it definitely influences our perception of what that movie is mm-hmm. as a result. So I mean, that that's again, that casting is very clear whether it was intended or not it's still baked into that cake um whereas i think this i I, because romero is a very political filmmaker and i feel like to to ignore that it feels false in a way well also also uh i mean he was a big creative force in the film but like i say before it's savini's movie right and i think what they were trying to do with it was uh just the most basic thing they possibly could with a zombie story which is the original night of the living dead and do it the best way possible because all the the romero films and a lot of other zombie films are about how the zombies aren't the real monsters you know they're right we're them they're us they're us we're them they're us right you know, and, and ra- um, I mean, rather than making that the subtext running through the film, you just have the main character say it at the end, and like that's well, spoilers. Again, that's, that's a quote from a movie from, uh, from one of the original trilogy films. That's okay. a direct quote from probably one you haven't seen yet. Probably is it yeah. Day? Because I've seen Day, but it's been a long. Ass no, time. it's Dawn. It's in Dawn. Yeah, yeah, Dawn's Dawn's the one I haven't seen. So yeah, and that's why I, I think. As someone who has seen the other two in the trilogy several, several times, that this does hit different because at the end of it, they they do kind of go a little deeper into um, that whole thing of like the the people who are still alive are the real monsters, mm-hmm. you know, more than they did even in the original and even right. with our, our heroine, Barbara, she's, she's the hero of the story and she just fucking shoots straight up murders. Shoots, Tom yep, tolls just murders him. 
who is putting like, way too much mustard on the sandwich. Like by the uh, way, he is, I love him. In this he movie. is He's just like overacting to the hilt, man. He bunch is of yo-yos playing it as big as humanly possible like just the, being the biggest the loudest yeah. i love him he is he's great in this movie like i say everybody there's not a bad performance in this movie i don't think right uh unlike the first film uh we're talking about you know versus you know sort of not versus that sounds mean just like just comparing com- the two comparing yeah i mean it, it's it's a remake we're gonna have to compare there's something that many people praise about the original that I think is pretty fucking awful, which is the first zombie, the graveyard zombie, the one that, that runs, you know, right. the only fast zombie in Romero history, right. though, to be fair, he's going downhill and he still looks to be very uncoordinated. And that's why zombies can't really run is because they fall because they're not, they're about as coordinated as a toddler. Right. Basically. I mean, rigor mortis has already set in, and they're fighting against it. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what they say about it in Diary: is that it's, mm-hmm. your legs would snap off because of the rigor mortis. Yeah. Right. Oh, I forgot they mentioned that in that. That is appropriate that they yeah. did because that. that was kind of he, he he mentions it multiple times in that movie, as if commenting on the popularity of running zombies that had preceded Diary of the Dead. Diary feels like Romero's grumpy old man movie. It does. Like, which is why these, I kind of like it a lot. Like the whole thing is just like these it's damn kids right. and their cell phones kind of kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Like so, social media and right. Know, I really yeah. enjoy the performances in that film more than anything else. I think everybody that's in that film is really really good, and I don't think I've seen any of them in anything else. I didn't care for that one, but I'm looking forward to rewatching it hopefully later this month if I can. Or just you skip survival. You don't need to watch survival. No, no reason. No reason to watch it. Inconsequential, bad, and it's terrible. It's it's bruiser bad on the Romero scale. It's bruiser bad, which I never got to bruiser. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Doesn't even exist, man. We talk bruiser what? Bruiser who? You know I'm a completist, so at some point I would like to sit with all the Romero films. let us know how that goes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Look, you know, uh, over half of his filmography is brilliant. But Romero's not a director that hits every time. But when he does hit, he knocks it right the fuck out of the park. And it takes a very special director to be able to hit every like even Spielberg's had some whiffs at bat. Mm-hmm. Um, like even the greatest filmmakers of all time have had it like one or two whiffs. Like there's there's no such thing as a guy whose entire oeuvre is back to back perfection. Like everyone everyone likes to put Cameron, James Cameron forward, but everyone forgets that he directed Piranha 2 the spawning. Um so you know, like, oh, James Cameron has no bad films in his filmography. And I'm like, excuse me, Piranha 2 would like a word. I mean, it's it's a good, bad movie, though. I like Piranha 2. <laughs> Look, as 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 schlocky Corman stuff goes, it's it's probably better than most. But I think it makes it even good. better that when you know that it's James Cameron, too. Right. You can just be like, this is wow. And he like, was so sick it. during the filming of that movie that he has a, a fever dream at night about a robot with a knife. Uh, and that's where Terminator comes from. I just that's where he gets the idea for Terminator is on that. When film. you get a glimpse into the nerdy pasts of these consummate professionals and masters of their crafts. Right. You know, I love it when you get when you watch Dementia 13 and you're like, oh, Francis Ford Coppola, you silly bastard. I mm-hmm. love you. <laughs> and so many of them came like so many of those great people that came out of the 70s, 80s get their start with Corman. Like Corman's the guy that Corman, did yeah. 
like Dante, Ron Howard, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Um, I don't think Marty got his start with Corman, but um, like so many of those guys started there. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Even Troma is the same way now with uh, James Gunn. Yeah. I mean, James Gunn is, is, James Gunn feels in in a lot of ways like the guy that got out, but yeah. (laughs) I could see that. Yeah. But, but yeah, not as living dead. Um, yes. But yeah, I, you know, so yeah, for me, I, I guess it, it feels like a, I don't know, it feels like a bit of a betrayal on Romero's part. And again, point taken, it's not his movie, it's Savini's movie. But by the same token, like, I would have, I would have liked for this film to have more of a, more of a social edge to it, like the rest of the franchise has up to that point. Yeah, no, I can, I can dig it. I, I completely understand that perspective of but for me i still like it better uh because that stuff is still there sure and i've seen the original so it's it's implied honestly for me like i can get where like you separate it but for me it's like i've seen the original so it's like when you watch a movie and read a book and like you know you or the other way around where something's not in a movie that's in the book but you know about it you, you still kind of put it in your brain it's still in the movie it it affects the movie somehow you know what i mean it's the same way with these two films like the original yeah it affects the way that i see the remake and it it, it's definitely a reason i like it better because because it builds upon it you know maybe i just like them as a whole together better than the two of them separately because I feel like it it does build on it in certain ways, but it also takes away, I think, the thing that makes that made for me anyway. And again, this I'm speaking simply from my own perspective, the thing that made the original so powerful. And I think by removing that from the equation, it definitely weakens the remake. And it felt again and again, this is simply my p- perception, but it feels superfluous because of it. Like I couldn't because I, and I've said this before. But I feel like genre fiction and horror in particular is in such a prime spot in the entertainment industry to comment on the world the way that it is in a very pointed and direct way that other similar genres, to comedians. Right. That that other genres simply cannot do. Yeah. Um, and th- that this film does not lean into that even a little bit feels like a missed opportunity again to me for me but it feels like a missed opportunity i get that i i respect that perspective and totally understand it i I respect it i obviously don't agree but i respect it fair so what puts this one over the edge for you guys then what 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 makes this the the better film well for me convince me it's, I mean, it's what we've <laughs> talked about. It's how it builds on the story. Like, it, it expands it. It updates it. Um, I mean, it just, like, choosing to subvert expectations whenever it can, which I think was another argument I was going to make for why it doesn't lean so heavily into the social commentary, just because that's probably what you were expecting it to do. Right. Um, it's so... it's like the scene we talked about at the beginning with the fake out zombie. That's it's the whole movie right there, man. You've seen the original. 
keep that in mind, mm-hmm. but also enjoy this shit. And actually, you're going to enjoy it more because you've seen the original and you're expecting one thing and we're going to give you the other. Because, like, it's, you know, it, it sprinkles in the social commentary. Like, something we didn't mention is Ben talking about the scene in the diner that he escaped from. Like, right. a dude just randomly has an assault rifle. Like, in, like that's that feels like a bit of a commentary. Oh, Welcome yeah, to Reagan's America, everybody. They're shitting on rednecks and gun owners. That whole speech mm-hmm. is yeah. just shitting on rednecks and gun and owners. And then they shit on them more it. at the end of the movie. It's, it's great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, if anything, it's commenting on, you know, your red states. Um, but I don't think Romero loves Hicks too much. No. Uh, gee, I don't I don't know where you get that <laughs> from this film. That just that, oh, I can't just wait till feels... you see the crazies. Oh, boy. no, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing the crazies. Uh, so, I the mean, original. yeah, I think the social commentary isn't ham fisted. It's just sort of sprinkled as a nice little accoutrement. To, and I don't think it's ham fisted in the original, though. I just think it's it's pointed, like well, it's... and and like we mentioned before, it's not even intentional in the sure. original, or at least initially, it never was. And so right. maybe that's what makes this um, the perfect remake because the intentions are the same. Because they're like I say, with their intentions on the original was not to make such a powerful statement. It just happened because the black guy was the best actor, and they put him in the role. Yeah, and I mean, they, they, that wasn't even going to be how the movie ended, right? Like, so they changed that because of him. So, I, yeah. yeah, and I'm not sure what the reasons were behind it. They maybe run out of money or, or something. Um, this movie is definitely more polished than the original. The original has that kind of community theater, let's put on a show kind of vibe to it. Um, that is, I think, a lot of people, like, it's a true true independent film in the very realist sense of the word uh whereas this one definitely has like a studio budget um and and that comes through more than anything in in the special effects which i mean you got to figure with a guy like savini behind the camera the guy who you know is got his start as a makeup artist um as a as a the guy who i think he designed the makeup for for jason Voorhees, right uh, the the uh, baby Jason coming out of the lake, yeah. In the original, yeah, yeah, that was him. Yeah. So I mean, like that, that you would imagine that guy's gonna put a lot of time and effort into the the gore effects, the zombie effects, and all of those look just incredible, like absolutely unbelievable, while not being over the top. Agreed. Well, if if they had had their way, it would have been over the top. They had to cut this a bunch of times not to get an NC-17. Like, Savini is very upset about how much gore was left on the cutting room floor. You know what? For Savini, I believe that. I well, just because the, the effort they put into it, and this is Savini's movie, and he's an effects guy, and this is a mm-hmm. Romero movie. His fucking, his guy, that's his dude. Yeah, he's like, actually Romero and Savini Dead, are... Right? Savini yeah, yeah. is in a bunch of Romero movies. He plays a main character in Martin. He plays a main character in Knight Riders. He's in a bunch of them, and he does the effects. Oh, I always forget he directed Riders. God. Oh, Ed Harris at his best. I love that fucking movie. Ooh, I love that movie. I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm gonna see you guys later. I'm gonna go watch that right now. Bye, bitches. <laughs> I'm gonna go vroom vroom cool. off on my my steed, my motorcycle steed. Now I'll get in your blood pressure check first, though. <laughs> yeah, I should probably I should probably do that first. Yeah, totally. 
That's a reference, Stephen. I don't think you get, do you? Nope. Sure yeah, don't. You haven't seen the film. Nope. You'll, you'll, get, you'll get there. You'll get I just it. know that I know the poster, and I know the poster looks completely ridiculous, and I kind of love it for that. Yeah, I love those pastels for sure, like those earthy pastels. Yeah, it's good stuff. But yeah, like I, again, you 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 figure Savini in the director's chair, you're gonna get some blood, some gore, um, particularly because the zombie effects in the original film are just like a lot of eye makeup and like maybe some white pancake, which As kind of makes got, them look a little starker on the, on the black and white film. You've got some pretty good looking squibs in the original. Okay. Uh, you've, you've got uh, fresh guts from the mm-hmm. butcher in the original briefly. Right. Uh, and then you've just got standard like latex and makeup appliances, which were done by, um, Russ Striner and his wife, Russ Striner, who played Johnny, right. and his wife, I can't remember her name, she played Cooper's wife. But they also did all of the makeup effects on the original film. Okay. There's like six people in that movie that did everything. I, you know. I, and the rest were extras. And that's, I mean, look, I've, I've, seen, I've seen movies get made that way. Um, Your boy John Russo, a co-writer of Night of the Living Dead, person we have mentioned many times during this podcast and the What Are We Watching episode we recorded yesterday, is the zombie whose eyes move after he's dead. Hmm. The one he's laying there and then Ben grabs him by the feet and pulls him and right before he does, he's like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh man, how do you leave that in? Well, look, I I was scrolling through the trivia for this movie. There are so many mistakes. Uh, There are tons of them. That was most of the trivia was like, here's where boom mic is in the shot. Here's where this guy's eyes move. I was supposed to be dead. Yeah, it's it's. Is he dead? Is he dead? I mean, I don't don't know. Is he he dead? Oh, I love Barbara in this movie, man. Ooh, she's intense. She's great. I love it. Yeah. She's fantastic. I wish we could have gotten an entire series. And, and that's the main character. I yes. feel like that's the missed opportunity here is that you 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 build Barbara into kind of a badass heroine in her own right, and then we don't do anything with her going forward. Like I can see her being a focal character within this franchise and going through the events of maybe the next two films in that character. But this I spoiler, this movie made like no money. A dollar, um, I think. It it barely made back its production budget. So like it's this was not this was not gonna get sequelized. This was not fairly well received upon upon release. So not super popular on home video either. No, I mean people people who like the original, people who are horror fans mm-hmm. most of the time like this movie. It does okay, but I mean it's I don't think they've ever ever really made much money off of this, unfortunately. No. Zombies considering the thing yet considering their motivations and then to just not make shit off of it. That's going to suck. Right. So I think the zombie craze begins again with it's 28 days later, right? Which those aren't even really technically zombies. Uh, well, starts... what comes first? The Dawn of the Dead remake or 28 days later? Uh, I always forget I mean, which one came first. They I... came out around the same time. So it's up in the air with me. I, I, I'm not. Cause those, those two, those two re-kicked it off. 28 Days whatever. Later is 2002. Dawn of the Dead is 2004. 
Okay. Okay. So twenty eight days and later, then... which they're not they're not zombies in twenty eight days later because they're not yeah. dead. Right. That's why well, it's okay that they run because they're not dead. They're infected well, with rage. But their bodily close... functions have not shut down. No, they're I know. close I... enough in the public perception that they kind of get labeled yes. that way. Yes, I'd exactly. say they're zombie adjacent. Yeah, they're definitely zombie adjacent. Similar creatures, very similar. You go ask random Joe Schmo on the street; he will say they're zombies, and it will not right. give two shits otherwise. Correct. Um, well, so... like the, it's the only is... like people that focus on the minutia and the continuity and the lore of it, like Brett, that are really going to get the nerds focused on the definitions. The there. nerds, yeah. like me, <laughs> the connoisseurs oh. of nerdy they got the sewers of horror if you like that nerdy shit just just wait two episodes from now i'm gonna get into some shit because the original on that one boy wow they just they just tell you all about it man dr logan just lays it on the line he's like look this is what's up this is the explanation drops the microphone horror over i just won (laughs) zombies then you know road shoots him Hello, Aunt Alicia. Um, when did you look up for me real quick, Stephen? When Robert Kirkman starts The Walking Dead? Uh, yes. Oh, that the is comics? Also... That would have been like 2006, 2007, 2005. The Walking Dead comic book is, uh, begins in 2003. Same so there thing. you go. There's, there's the trilogy. You get... 20 days later in 2000, what? 3? 2002. 2002. 20 days later, 2002. 2002. This 2002? is 2003. Dawn of the Dead's 2004. 2004. And then the zombie resurgence happens. And it really doesn't end until like, and... until the TV show wraps in like 2020. Like that, the, the zombie craze kind of continues. Oh no, no, no. The zombie craze died way before that because the, the people got real pissed off with the series. Um, because I, no, I, mean, I was doing, one of those people. Um, they're still doing like are they still doing Fear the Walking Dead? Is that still there are three different Walking Dead shows still on the air. There is Oof. Fear. There is Norman Reedus. <laughs> and that's and the name of the show. He gets to France yes. for some reason. Sure. Norman, I want to watch that because I've actually heard it's really good, but I still have not watched the last half of the final season because I dread watching that show whenever I watch it, but I'm just so invested in the characters. And every once in a while, honestly, every once in a while it surprises me, so sometimes it's worth the, worth the risk. But I've heard the Daryl Dixon show is really good. And the other one's what, Maggie and Negan doing yeah. some shit? In New York. Yeah. Cool. But look, like, I don't, look, after season two or three, because, like, Frank Darabont, say what you want about Frank Darabont, um, people only want to work with him. So when he decides to quit a thing, right, everybody goes with him. Right. Um, so then they had to completely deviate 100% from the source material to the point where I couldn't even watch it anymore. Um, so that's it. That's why I tapped out. That's why a lot of people tapped out. Um, and the love for zombies started to dive downhill after that i mean you still have you still have things popping up like uh warm bodies and 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 stuff like that so like it's still in the zeitgeist even into the late 2010s but by now oversaturated like it was oh god i mean yeah the early 2000s were all zombies all the time for sure because after dawn of the dead hit golly you guys it was rough being a zombie fan because you'd think it would be like, yay, look at all this zombie content. Well, no, 90% of it fucking sucked. 
And like, it was really hard to wade through all that shit to get to like the one or two diamonds in the rough of that era. It was a really yeah. annoying time to be a zombie fan. Let me tell you. So I'm glad it calmed the fuck down, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it, these things generally tend to do with the exception of superheroes, apparently. But yeah, like these things generally tend to like cool oh, after a while. It's on its way. Superheroes are on their way out. I think I've even even me, the MCU fuckboy, is agreeing with that. <laughs> so I don't know, man. X Men though. What about X Men? Well, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. But I think people aren't going to care. Like I was I right know. about I... Blue Beetle, by the way. For the record, I was right about Blue Beetle. Yeah, nobody agreed. fucking I think, gave two shits. I think we all were. We all saw that trailer and was just like, so. Yeah. <laughs> so the, what? The collective like, fuck sh- off. The, the collective <laughs> shrug heard around the world. Yeah. Yeah. We don't care that you're rebooting it, James Gunn. We don't care anymore. Well, and I mean, it just, it feels like a little too late. And I think if anyone can do it, it's James Gunn. Like he's like, I think guardians three was probably the best superhero movie of the last. Well, really since Endgame. Um, I will begrudgingly agree with you, even though um, multiverse of madness is very fucking close for me. Right. Still, but yeah, I mean, it's, but I and I, so I think because Gunn I think understands more than anyone else at Marvel that uh, you have to have a good narrative if you want to sell a movie and uh, I think there are some things that were in like too far down the pipeline before he came in that he just kind of had to um, promote like Blue Beetle and the Flash that he didn't really have any stake in but felt the need to push because they were connected to the thing that he was just taking charge of so shit we still got Aquaman coming out. Yeah, we do. I saw the trailer for that in front of Saw X. And did uh, you shrug? How how hard did you like dislocate your shoulder shrugging? I I just probably would have. I was just kind of like shaking my head in bewilderment. Like uh, I mean, I loved the first Aquaman. It's probably my Mm. my favorite of the of the DCEU films. Not even Patrick Wilson could save that for me. Um, I mean, it. There's an octopus that plays the drums. Um. Like yeah, that's one fucking of those cool. Little Mermaid too. That doesn't yeah. really mean anything. And yeah, but does a Little Mermaid have Julie Andrews playing a giant sea monster? No. Oh, fuck you, Stephen. Why Julie you Andrews refused to be to in like Mary movie. Fuck. I Julie forgot. Andrews refused to be in Mary Poppins Returns so that she could play the Kraken in Aquaman. Never forget. Hey, but you know what we got instead oh, of Julie Andrews in Mary Poppins Returns? Angela Lansbury. A cameo from Angela Lansbury. And real ones know that even though she had nothing to do with Mary Poppins, it was a fitting cameo. Sure. Only the real ones. I mean, look, I believe it, but I mean, it, that's that's kind of one of those, this cameo was clearly designed for someone else kind of things. Agreed. Oh, but... I, oof, I have very complicated feelings about that movie. We'll talk about it on Unenfranchised someday. I demand it. I don't days. care when. It could be 10 years from now, but at some point we have to talk about it because I have a lot to unpack. 10 years sounds good. A lot. I'll be just in time for my Howard the Duck rewatch. Yeah. And then we'll all watch Popeye together. Mm, Popeye. I love that movie. And I'll love it for some strange reason. Yeah, it'll it'll finally, Brett's movie opinions will finally become evolved enough and he can appreciate Popeye. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Well, it's it's been great. I love love my 10 years of this franchise podcast. It's been fun, everybody. I'm out of here. Good night, everybody. Watching our boy Brett grow. This is like the fifth time we've canceled ourselves in this episode, in this recording. Good job, um, everybody. We did the first it. time one of us has canceled ourselves willingly, though. Sure, so sure, sure. I'm just, I'm out. 
Brad, that's not even the worst thing I've said about you on mic. That's true. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so I know this isn't going to be the thing that makes you leave. I love uh, you, buddy. Uh, I love you too. You love uh, me. Right, well, you guys love are you making too, Tucker. out. Fuck you, buddy. Uh, love you too. While you get, while you guys are making out, I'm going to talk about the score. Uh, I'm intensely fond of the both of you as well. Um, so. <laughs> I really like the score in this movie, you guys. I really, really do. Because it's like super low-key, and it's not even really melodic. Mm-hmm. It's almost... Uh, but but it's it's like... it. I don't know how to explain this, but the score in this movie sounds like it just belongs there. Like, if you were there, and it weren't a movie, like, for some... Somehow, if that were playing in the background, it would be fitting. Mm-hmm. You know? I really the great score is one that just sort of blends in like it's and meant this to one be there. really does and when you do notice it it's the you're noticing how well it just blends in with the rest of this movie and the times i noticed it were the times where it's paying homage to the original like with like the oh. synth stings and like yes yeah, yeah it's it, I, I liked it a lot and that wicked guitar riff over the end credits <laughs> Which Resident Evil 2 clearly pays homage to at the end of its credits. Yes. Yes, it does. It's just but a I mean, monster but, I mean, riff. Like... Which, by the way, if we're talking about Romero, Romero directed some Resident Evil 2 commercials over in Japan. That's true. Starring uh, R.I.P. fucking What's-His-Nuts from, uh, golly, you guys, what's the guy's name I'm thinking of? He was in Ghost World, and he was in Bully... Brad Renfro, R.I.P. Mm. I was gonna uh, say, I, I almost said Steve Buscemi's not dead, but yeah, Brad Renfro, that makes more sense. No, uh, Romero was supposed to direct. Oh the yeah, first... he was in the Resident Evil Two commercial. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. He Brad was supposed Renfro. to direct the first uh, Resident Evil film, if I'm not mistaken. I've, I've read it the was. screenplay. It's pretty all right. It needs okay. a punch up. It needs a punch up. It but seems I mean, like it a first also, draft, you know. Yeah, it wasn't a final draft. Right. And of all people to tell this to, they said, this is, there's, there's too many zombies in this thing. <laughs> it's like, why hire me then, asshole? Exactly. I, don't, I don't know if that was a rumor, but that's always the, what I've heard of why they rejected his yeah. script and fired him. Is like, oh no, man, there's too many zombies in this thing. Like, everything Which, that we've done I mean, is inspired by what you've done, but you're probably not the person to adapt this, so... Right, right. Well, look, if there's anything we learned, the studio doesn't know what the fuck a Resident Evil game is, uh, so... Uh, yes, that is true. <laughs> da, 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 da. Da. Yeah, so, which, I mean, and that's that's about all we'll get into the corner, because, like... I don't want to talk about every zombie game ever. That would take a day no. or two. Um, no. We already well, did there... our Resident Evil episode that absolved video enough. game corner. Yeah, that's good the enough. only video game that's ever been officially released uh, that I know of uh, that relates to a George Romero zombie film is Land of the Dead: Road to Fiddler's Green. Oh right, yes, that's true. That's the I only one. Forgot about that game. Yeah, we did the thing. He did the thing. Oh, he sh- I saw the shrug. Yeah, he shrugs. He did the thing. Yay! For a while, their playthroughs Yay! of Road to Fiddler's Green were very popular on Twitch. There was a time. There was a time and a place. Yeah. That was during the uh, PS2, Xbox, GameCube era. During that generation is when that game came out. Yeah, the early days of Twitch. 
No, no, that's when the game came out. That's not when it was popular oh. on Twitch. It was popular on Twitch like two years ago. Oh, that's mm. just randomly. Weird. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because it's notoriously bad. Mm. But if you own the DVD of Land of the Dead, there's a trailer for it before the movie. So that that rocks. It's a cool. first person shooter, so cool times. So yeah. yeah. Any final thoughts on Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead before we move into the box office? Um, yes. Um, uh, this movie's really cool and I like it a lot and it's like one of my favorites. Um, no, that's not what I had to say. Uh, what I do have to say is uh, kind of a bridge, gra- bri- 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 bridge gap between the two films. Uh, there was a a version of the original Night of the Living Dead. Again, just a random fact, but when else are we going to be talking about Night of the Living Dead? I feel like I need to get all this shit out. Um, I have this uh, remixed version of Night of the Living Dead called Night of the Living Dead Reanimated. And I bought it at the Living Dead Museum when it was still in Evan City. It's back at the Monroeville Mall now, thankfully. That location is so much better. Um, But when they had it in Evan City, I bought the DVD and every scene is done by a different animator. It's kind of like the RoboCop remake, not the, the RoboCop remake, but the one where like every a different director did a different scene and everything like the styles varied styles and budgets varied wildly. It's the same with this one. It's everything from like two frame per second, like paper animation to like really good stop motion to some pretty nice hand-drawn stuff it's just really it's i wouldn't say that it's good but it's really really interesting that reminds me of something that i mean i don't really condone ai but sometimes it's used for cool stuff um the somebody at some point went through and did um they used ai to create what would resident evil 2 look like as a live action romero zombie film what would Resident Evil 3 look like as a live-action Romero zombie movie? Um, it's, it's really fucking good. Um, That's cool. I don't know how... I mean, look, it's AI, so I shouldn't really ask. I don't know how it does that, but... I don't want to know, man. I'm scared. I, it nailed it, though. The the aesthetic, the look. like It has the same sort of like cinematography look to all of the pictures that it created. Like It looks like a lost Romero zombie movie. Now, when the AI is taking over and a robot is, like, filleting you alive, you'll be like, oh, man, at least that the Romero-ized Resident Evils were really cool. No, that that was fair to me. I complimented it. I am always nice to machines. I don't even yell at the automated system on the phone because, you know, when they take over, they're going to remember that shit. They're going to remember. They're going to be like, this guy, he's never... He's never hit a computer. Unless they delete that memory to make room for more relevant data. Nah, dude. I'm a special boy. They're going to remember me. I'm just saying. Word. All right, Steven. I guess if there's nothing else. Uh, This movie opens October 19th, 1990. It opens at number six in its opening weekend uh with a production budget of 4.2 million it earns a hey, that's domestic, not bad no it earns a domestic gross throughout its uh time in theaters of 5.8 million so again 
just barely makes back its production budget. Um, its opening weekend, it opens at 2.88 million in its opening weekend. Again, opens at number six behind uh, in first place uh, in its third weekend. So already not boating super well. Uh, is a little movie called Marked for Death. Uh, I don't know what this movie is, but apparently it was a thing. Um, what if someone were marked for death? It's, you know what? The reason I don't know it, it's a Steven Seagal movie. There you go. That's Wait, why is that in... the one that takes place at a hockey game? Um, I That I don't know. Let me look that up. Doesn't matter. Steven Seagal doesn't matter. Um, yeah, Steven Seagal movie in uh, second place. Uh, the Harry Connick Jr. David Strathairn DB Sweet. Damn, this cast is great. Um, a little film called uh, Memphis Bell at number two in its second weekend, holding steady there. Uh, new this week at number three is the Tom Selleck Western Quigley Down Under, uh, one of my father's favorite films. Uh, in fourth place in its third weekend uh a little uh movie uh, featuring uh what if what if patrick swayze was a ghost it's ghost uh the ghost? movie that won whoopi goldberg her oscar ghost uh and in fifth place uh the one that immediately beat um night of the living dead uh the walt disney's fantasia the re-release of disney's fantasia from 1990 Oh, I um, like Fantasia. Rounding up the top 10, we've got Night of the Living Dead in six, Avalon in seven, Mr. Destiny at eight, Goodfellas at nine, and Pacific Heights at number 10. Um, so yeah, like we said, this movie did not uh, really pack them in. And uh, I mean, wasn't, as, as you said earlier, Tucker, not super successful on... Um, on uh, home video either Uh, it does however have a tomatometer score of 68 the critics consensus night of the living dead doesn't quite reinvent the original's narrative but it's sleek action and amplified gore turn it into a worthy horror showcase uh the meta score on this one is a 54 based on mixture average reviews from 18 critics and the letterbox score is my computer is going very slowly i apologize why i don't know you're having internet connectivity problems it would seem so um is a 3.4 letterbox score is a 3.4 so tucker we'll go ahead and start with you out of five stars what are you giving tom savini's 1990 night of the living dead this is a five star for me. This is uh this is a perfect movie. There's not one thing about it that I do not like. There's no moment where I look at my phone, even now after I've seen it a million times. It's always engaging. It's always wonderful. The performances are always great. And I'm always having a good time. Brett, what about yourself? Well, I give the original five, so based on my opinions in this episode, I gotta give this a five, too. Alright. Whereas I give this one a three. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. So, yeah, that's where I land on it. Um, But yeah, that is our episode on 1990's Night of the Living Dead. Stay tuned. 
Uh, the rest of the month, we've got several more Romero remakes coming your way. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, this is the Disenfranchised Podcast, and you can find us on all the social platforms at Pod. You can shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing, and we might read your response here on the air. Um, you can also uh, check us out on... Um, oh yeah on patreon uh patreon.com slash disenfranchpod uh coming up tomorrow we have our uh discussion on uh our oops all christianity corner discussion on william friedkin's the exorcist as there is a new exorcist film coming out tomorrow so we'll talk about all about that film through the lens of christianity that's the oops all christianity corner is the show where i vent my religious knowledge and trauma for you know the world just cut my veins and let me bleed um well tucker and i make fun of it all yeah Yeah. so it's that's actually a pretty fun combo uh so check that out uh, patreon.com slash disenfranch pod uh that is dropping tomorrow um and then you can check us out on your uh podcatcher apps make sure you give us a five-star rating and review we would surely appreciate it and seriously in addition to, to if you give us a rating please, please, please write us a review. We really appreciate that. And that's going to go a long way to helping other people find us and engage with us as well. Uh, so if you could do that, that would be great. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Blue Sky at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you on socials these days? You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at sus underscore warlock. I recently just posted my entire saw franchise ranking check it out yeah as soon as tucker watches those movies we'll have to do a uh a, a disenfranchised on all the saw stuff hopefully before the month is over into it and uh tucker where can we find you on socials these days you can find me on the youtubes and on the instagrams at ice 909 that's ice 909 i-c-e n-i-n-e the number zero and the number nine. Um, also on Instagram, uh, tuck, tuck mugs. It's tuck underscore mugs. Uh, we've got a, a surprise guest that's going to do a, a a mug submission for this weekend. I'm pretty oh. excited about. Nice. Somebody I've been trying to get on the page for a while. Right on. They finally agreed to do it. Hell yeah. Uh, so. Patricia Arquette, is that who interacted with you on Instagram? Did you get her she to did. submit, make a submission? No. Oh, you guys, not only that, but I was listening to the the record Deltron 3030, uh, which the the main rapping performer on that record is Del the Funky Homo Sapien. And as you've seen on my Instagram, whenever I listen to a record, I, I post a little picture of the the record sleeve next to where it's playing and everything, just to be sure. like, hey, look what I'm listening to. It's fun to share that kind of stuff. And Del the Funky Homo Sapien himself liked my post. Nice. Very nice. I had uh, Kevin Smith engage with a couple tweets that I made once upon a time. Nice. Yeah. Actually, one of Brett's too, because Brett responded to something that I posted and Kevin Smith liked my my tweet and then Brett's as well. So that was really fun. And Brett's response was, because I was running a, a page called the Auteurs Lounge at the time. And I posted a picture of Kevin Smith and uh, Gina Prince Bythewood. And then the movies that I had them as having directed, uh, I think Kevin Smith was a a more recent one because it coincided with uh, a recent Gina Prince Bythewood film from around that time. 
which was something I tried to do. And Brett's response was that one. And Kevin Smith liked both my picture and Brett's response. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Kevin Smith is a good dude. Yeah, seems to be. Yeah. Yeah, even though he did, house. even though he did direct uh, Jay and Silent Bob, or have have a good role, a big role in the film uh, Jay and Silent Bob Super Groovy Cartoon Movie, uh, which is one I, of the worst films we've ever talked I about. I wouldn't show. be surprised if he is disowned, because he's sort of he's kicked. I say kicked as if it's that addictive for him. It was uh, marijuana altogether, right? Um, so he he might that might have been at the height of his marijuana ness, and he might disavow that movie at this point. But who knows? Well, I was still listening to a number of the the podcasts that they were doing back then, and when that movie was made, that was basically something that Kevin Smith just signed off on and gave to Jason Mewes. So he didn't that really tracks. have he didn't really have anything to do with it except for he wrote it. you know signing off on it and and being a voice actor. He wrote and the script. I guess I guess I guess writing one draft. <laughs> yeah, it feels very much like a first draft <laughs> kind of movie. Uh man, it doesn't matter how you would have written that movie. The Stark tunes just kill it, man. The animation sucks. It's... It's really bad. It's 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 not even glorified flash animation. It's bargain basement flash no. animation. It's but it's like flash animation from fifteen years before the movie was made. Like they're yeah. making it on like a Packard Bell four eighty six, I think. Computer joke. Hi, bleep bleep. Uh. Zero zero one 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 zero one one, etc. <laughs> hilarious I got it. Yeah. yeah all anyway. right and that is all she wrote for the first episode of our fourth annual spooky thon um this has been the disenfranchised podcast i am your host stephen foxworthy from my co-host brett wright and tucker until next time we are coming to get you barbara